Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher bakar bin ve'im tovim Veratza ve'divrehim ha'ne'emarim be'emet Baruch atah Adonai Haboker batorah uv'moshe abdo uv'yisrael amo uv'in v'ye ha'emet vazerik Bizkut Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Amen. Well, shalom, everybody. Want to welcome you to the Haftarah Pesach special with Shomer and Hasis. So there's obviously a lot going on. So I'm just gonna hand it on over to my homeboy. Homeboy, take it away. Abruk Shem. So we are here. Um, like I said, this is going to be the half tour for Pesach, which Pesach will fall on Shabbat today. Come on. So amazing, amazing things. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, if, if we did our, our, um, well, it's just all, all this, all the amazing things that happened, uh, within this week throughout history, you know, uh, Tuesday was, Tuesday was actually, like uh the anniversary of the uh this whole uh situation where he circumcised all of israel Mm. and then you have uh today today is even more amazing in a sense because this is actually a day according to tradition that abraham himself was circumcised Mm. the first jew Mm. so Pretty interesting things. Also, like Haman's decree was today, um, and then we have the whole idea of the passing of Yosef Karl, the one who wrote the Shulchan Ruch, and the passing of the third Jewish uh, um, Rebbe, uh, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. May the memories be for a blessing. Oh, but it's kind of interesting if you think about that, how Hashem is outside of time, how he may see time, because him being outside of it, it's like all these events and the timeline were happening once. Right. You know, all at the same time. And so you could kind of maybe understand how, you know, where Haman's, Haman has this decree to, to eliminate all of, of Judaism, but at the same time, at least in that same day, right, as far as maybe a diff- way different year, of course, Abraham is being circumcised, and then you have all these uh, Sadakim who are, who are passing away at that time. Wow. You know, so Hashem sees this evil decree, but also sees the merit of these great men. Because so, interesting perspective, just on the whole idea of Moedim, since we are coming up on on Pesach, right? You know, which is the fifteenth of Nisan. That's correct. And here we have uh, on the fifteenth of Nisan, we have all different things going on. Incredible. Uh, don't know what happened to sound. Are you still there? Hello? Are you there? Okay, stand by everyone. Okay, so back to the 15th of Nissan. So the 15th of Nisan, this is the anniversary of Pesach, of course. This is this coming uh, uh, Shabbat. There's a lot of Kudusha, uh, Kudusha on this day. This is the 
anniversary, if you will, of several uh, incredible occasions within uh, history. You have the covenant between the parts. You have Abraham's battle with the four kings. This is the day, according to tradition, where the angels and Elohim visit Abraham after his circumcision. Yitzhak was born today. Yaakov rests with the angel on this day. Moshe was at the burning bush on this day. Uh, of course, the exodus, uh, Queen Vashti was actually executed, which allowed for Esther to, to come in. And so it's also included the, the, almost the part of the redemption in the Purim story, if you will. And also Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. Wow. So an incredible lineup of stories we find within uh, our Tanakh. Man. <laughs> so, you know, like this day, you know, it's important to take advantage of, of the spiritual light that's being brought down in this, this Moed, this appointed time. I mean. So we are actually coming from uh, the book of Yehoshua, different sections within the beginning of Yehoshua. Um, as we may know, Yehoshua was a disciple of Moshe, and this was actually one of his his main characteristic, if you will. Um, you know, Abraham's known for his chesed, you know, Moshe's humility, Aaron for his peacemaker. Yehoshua is really known for being like the true disciple, the one who followed in the footsteps of, of Moshe. Even though he had incredible merits just on his own, um, he was like a warrior. He fought uh, a melech. Um, just like his, like you'll see in this half tour, if you, you've read along with it, he has a lot of miracles that parallel Moshe's, like the, the splitting of the Yarden, you know, and, and um, the, the conquest of all these nations of the land. So there's a lot of amazing parallels between him and Moshe. So uh, links to our festivals of Pesach. Um, the half actually relates how Ben Israel offered their Pesach sacrifice upon reaching the Holy Land. And before the Exodus, Hashem commanded Moshe to circumcise every Jew. And you actually see this in this half tour as well. And like we mentioned earlier, the sea split for the Exodus is also the, the Jordan, Jordan River splitting. <clears throat> and, you know, there's also this whole idea of this, this angel going before them that's brought, brought forth. Um, something interesting to note that's brought down in the Gemara and Nedarim 22b actually says that had, um, this is Rav Ada ben Rebbe Hanina, he said that had not Chal Israel sinned, only the five books of Moshe and the book of Yehoshua would have been given to them because it, re it records the apportionment of Eretz Israel. Hmm. And so, interesting concept, you know, this mentions the whole idea of why we have uh so many books in the Bible, if you really think about it, is, is really um, because of our sins. A lot of, like, you talk about the prophets, they're here to rebuke and make us do teshuva. Wow. And had we not sinned, it just would have been the Torah and then Yehoshua. <laughs> and so you, you think about, you know, what Yeshua says, like, they all spoke about me. And the Yehoshua and Yeshua are completely similar um, as far as names go. That's right. Um, so, so you have the Torah pointing to Yeshua. Get and Yeshua son. being the fulfillment of that. Not in the sense they did away with it, but it's like rightly interpreted, rightly dividing 
the mm-hmm. the halakha and the laws and, and how we're supposed to walk out this instructions from Hashem. And you think about it, that's pretty much what the uh, division of lands compares to the division of lands. Yehoshua ben Nun divid, divided the land into portions, and Yeshua Hamashiach the Mashiach is going to rightly divide, as he he said in Matthew five, uh, like the Torah, rightly interpret it. Wow. And in fact, you know, that's that's actually one way that it compares Yehoshua to Moshe. Moshe brought everybody to the Torah, and Yeshua, Yehoshua Nun, brought everyone to the land. He brought them the land of Eretz Israel. Amen. And so you have this connection of dividing the land and rightly dividing Torah. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. Um, so we get in here, it says, uh, at the very beginning of the half tour, it says, on one on the day before they crossed the yard in Yehoshua, admonished them, to sanctify yourselves. Hashem demands a higher spiritual level of you, for he is about to perform miracles for you. And so then you get into the whole, the miracles, what is this miracles referring to, the, the splitting of the Yarden, um, the ark lifting the Kohanim when they, when they crossed, crossed the river, the Jordan River. And also another miracle that could have been is this whole idea of uh, the this space that contracted for them. Wow. And so it says, Benazra would which reach Har Gerzim and Har Avel, locate 60 mil, which is about like 45 miles to the west. And the only way for such this large population to cover that distance on, the, on foot was if a shim literally contracted the route for them. And it's like, like, what was the reason for this urgency? It mentions that Moshe commanded that certain mitzvot, such as building an altar and announcing the prescribed blessings and curses at these mountains, um, could be could um, they're they're meant to be performed there on the day they actually cross the Jordan River. Oh man! And so one of the miracles that it's alluding to is is that crossing this huge amount of space in this short time. You know, um, but there's also an important concept here is is the idea of performing miracles. Um, one of the precedents to do that, to be on the level of performing miracles, is um, is to literally sanctify yourself. Like it says in this half where it says, sanctify yourself. Um, Hashem demands a higher spiritual level of you, for he's about to perform miracles for you. What the, the whole first part's alluding to. So in order to actually be on the level of performing miracles, one has to be on a level where he can change his own nature. That's right. And once he's able to change his own nature, then changing uh, events that surround him and the uh, sort of the environment around him, if you will, allowing for that to happen is is made easier, or it's made possible, I should say. And she mentions that the, uh, says this question that the Midrash brings up, why did Yehoshua command in Hashem's name that On led the people rather than travel in their midst as it had done in the wilderness? It says the, the answer to this question is the waters of the Jordan would split upon. Oh, no. Not. Okay, stand by. Here we go. Bugsha. <coughs> okay.
Good to go. All right. So the answer's question of that, that why Yehoshua commanded the Aron, the Ark, lead the people rather than travel in the midst as it had done in the wilderness. Why did he command this in Hashem's name? It's because the waters of the Jordan, Jordan would split upon the appearance of the Aron since the Shekinah rested upon it. Ooh. Therefore, it had to lead the way. Moreover, the Aron, which contained the Lokot, represented the Torah. So the waters of the, the Jordan, so to speak, recede upon beholding the representative of the Torah, in whose merit the Jews would conquer the land. Wow. This is where Hashem promises that uh, he will begin to do miracles for Yehoshua and his... Uh, you, you see as, as you're reading through this that the people suddenly see him as this, this great prophet like Moshe. Not just as Moshe's disciple, but actually his own prophet, their own prophet. Oh. And so it mentions this specific uh, phrasing and everything in, in the Torah and the Tanakh, uh, the way it's phrased is there for reason. And so there's this, this phrase that says, at that time, says, Yehoshua, Yehoshua uh, introduces Hashem's command for Yehoshua to circumcise the people. And with the words, at that time, Yehoshua, Hashem told Yehoshua, what is the significance of this phrase at that time? And one, it was it was the 11th of Nisan, uh, year 2488, um, which is a, a day of the year. Uh, they had experienced miraculous crossing of the, the Jordan River. And so they would be, in, like you have this idea that um, there's this right time for Shem to command the Jews something as difficult as Brit Milah. Because they, they now had put their faith in Yehoshua as Moshe. Mm. And so they will be inclined to obey since they were thoroughly convinced that Yeshua was a true prophet. So now that they believed in him, that's used the phrase at that time. Uh, another interpretation is because they were willing to risk their life to obey. Um, mm. And this is all in regards, again, to circumcising the people. And you think about it, they were at the eve of their conquest of Eretz Canaan at this time. Right. And as Shem saw fit to the entire nation for them to put their trust in him, kind of like he did in the Exodus. Think about that. They had to sacrifice the the Passover lamb, right? Pesach lamb. That's right. And that was huge because that was the quotation marks deity and quotation marks of Egypt, the Mitzrayim. And literally, they were literally putting their life on the line when they went and slaughtered this this uh, this lamb. And Hashem puts them through that same uh, predicament right here, because they're on the eve of their con- uh, conquest of Canaan, and He has them literally put their lives in danger by essentially making them uh, immobile. Right. Think about all the men, all these these hundreds of thousands of men literally circumcising themselves, uh, all the nations would have looked at them and be like, hey, they're they're exposed. They can't do anything, just right. like it was at Shechem. That's, man. You know, the men, men were, were just underwent circumcision, and then they were easily easily slaughtered. That's right, yeah. And so, literally, they, they put their, their lives at risk by doing this national milah, which exposed them and their, their wives and children to this extreme danger of all the nations attacking at this point. 
And so this is one of the reasons my mentions at that time. Um, but by circumcising themselves, they literally prove that they had become the people of Hashem. Uh, the, there's a couple other points about this is that um, he ordered Yehoshua to perform the Mila without delay because four days later would be the Corbin Pesach. Ooh. And an uh, uncircumcised Jew cannot partake of this offering. Mm. Very true. And uh, one of the other points to this is that um, there was this, there's these two parts to the idea of, of Mila, which is the whole uh, of the mitzvah of circumcision, right? Mm-hmm. The first part is Mila, which is actually removing the foreskin. And the second part is Priya, which is actually the tearing, the pulling back of of that area and what's interesting about this is there's interpretation that they actually were they went to the first part where they actually went through Mila but they didn't actually go through Priya and you think about why this is there's different interpretation but mostly because when they're in the wilderness move around with Moshe you know the cloud will go up and the cloud will go down and they never oh no all right, so we were on the part about the cloud going up and down after the talking about Priya. Okay. All right. So one of the reasons why they didn't actually complete uh, the process was this whole idea of this cloud, like we said, it was going up and down. And even though they're in camp uh, long periods of time, they didn't actually know when they go forth and go out. So they had to be ready to part at any time of the day. Um and so there, there's really also no guarantee that a baby would have the chance to recuperate from the circumcision. Mm. And uh, another point was because of Israel's sins at this time, um, during the wilderness, he actually, Hashem withheld the north wind, which has this cooling effect upon the desert. And so there's even more of a danger to go through this. And so majority of the nation, with the exception of like a certain Sadakim and the tribe of Levi, they consider this too dangerous, and they only perform um, Mila, which actually heals a lot more quickly. Um, but Priya is, they fear that it will be a threat to their life because um, it's increased, it's part of this increased pain and more loss of blood. And so with, they withheld that um, and just went with the Mila. Wow. But through this, um, they proved they must be... Uh, now the Bnei Israel are that they're in the land. They had to be circumcised again to include this next part, the Priya. Priya. Um, that's the nature of the command was related to that time, which is why I used the phrase um, at that time. Okay. It was a fulfillment of the second part. Wow. And then the second uh, part is carried about by Yehoshua, which I think is just amazing. Yes, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it's interesting because we kind of wonder about what, what is some of the significance behind this. And so B'nai Israel were actually tested in order to see whether they believed in the conquest of Eretz. Canaan was not dependent on the fitness of their army, but solely upon Hashem's will. And so it mentions this whole idea of the sharp in- instruments, which was they would conquer the land, were not used by usual swords that was for conquest but by circumcision knives. What? Which would do the opposite. It would leave them completely unfit for battle. 
And so the merit of them surrendering totally to Hashem's will would ensure their victory over the enemy. Oh. So it's it's this it's the thing, you know, we have um you think about this whole idea, you know, there's um you look at the verses within scripture, it says bread to make a man's heart grow strong, right? Right. And so this bread is is related to strength. But what do we do in, in Pesach? We eliminate all the chametz. We eliminate all these different types of grain and leavened breads. We eat only matzah. That's right. But it's it's through this, this is the, the bread we eat as we're going through this this week of, of complete redemption. And it's the same thing here. You know, it's it's not in the merit of their, their swords. It's the merit of the circumcision eyes, which rendered them powerless. It rendered them without mm. strength. Like we go without bread, without this 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 strength to our heart on the week of Pesach. Um, sounding like Hanukkah now with the Hasmoneans. Uh, really interesting because you also have this idea that um, Yehoshua, um, the way way he did this, he used a flint, a flint knife. But if you look at the idea of what we use today, we generally use a uh, a metal a metal knife. Mm. And so flint actually heals quicker, quicker, which is why it's used. But so why we use the metal knife today? Why? And it goes back to actually the story of David and Goliath. Oh. The uh, the midrash actually recounts this 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 idea of David. One interpretation was that Goliath was actually. And there it is. Uh, so we're we're on this whole idea of circumcision, and this whole it's like this um, complete paradox that these the knives where they circumcise themselves were actually became their strength when that would make them immobile and unfit for battle. And what Yehoshua actually used for this was flint, which actually allowed them to heal faster. So most of them, if not a uh, great majority of them, right were adults at this time. And so Flint has a property where it's a very, very sharp, um, uh, jagged uh, form of, of quartz, if you will, um, cryptocrystalline, but it allows the body to heal very, very quickly. But that's not what we see today. We don't actually use Flint knives today. We actually use metal knives. And so the question is, why is that? Why? It goes back to the story of David and Goliath. Oh. And so there's a, a, a midrash that is an interpretation that David's helmet was on when the rock hit him. And and in the merit of his helmet, the metal helmet, and see that the rock hit him and the rock actually went through his metal helmet. And so the midrash states that because the, the metal on David's helmet allowed the rock to penetrate it, um, we, in, in that merit, you know, we actually use metal knives for the circumcision. Wait, wait, wait. So the metal helmet on the head of David? I'm, I'm sorry, Goliath. Oh, okay. So, yeah. wow. Okay. So Goliath's helmet was on him. The rock went through the metal on his helmet as David sling the stone at him. And because the metal allowed the rock to penetrate it, we now use metal knives for circumcision. Oh, my word. Honor the metal that, that honored and Hashem by creating a Kedush Hashem. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And so that's how we, it, that's one of the, the interpretations of why we actually made that transition. And so, you know, <laughs> you just kind of think about this. If, if this is how metal, an inanimate object, is honored, 
for honoring Hashem's name, then how much more so us? Oh my goodness. I mean, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, Yehoshua is, is interpreted according to many commentators. Like, sometimes uh, it said that he, um, I guess, uh, instituted people to do the circumcision, but the interpretation of the Midrash actually maintains that he personally circumcised all of B'nai Israel. And yep. so why did he make all these these flint uh, knives for circumcision? Because wow. he was going so quickly, and so if one became unusual, if it broke off, he immediately replaced it with something else. Wow. <laughs> Prepared. So, yeah, he just, it was speed cutting. But he was precise. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, we're talking about Yeshua here, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... So um, there's the ministry kind of breaks off here, just touching this whole idea of these five duties that a father has towards his son. Okay. And one is like we see here to perform Mila. Two is to redeem him if he's his firstborn. Three is to teach him Torah knowledge. Four is to teach him how to fulfill the mitzvot. And of course, um, the the Gemara substitutes that um, to teach him a trade, because it's not always feasible for for every family to be able to teach. Um, their student a mitzvah, all the mitzvot and how to fulfill them. So generally, he'll send them to um, like be educated um, by someone else. But he still has to obligate to teach him a trade of some sorts. The fifth one is to actually arrange for his marriage, and it's interesting that Hashem, Hashem actually fulfills all this. He conducts himself um, after bringing Ben Israel out of Egypt like a father, loving father, fulfilling all these five duties for his children which is actually where we get this whole idea of what a father has to do for his child. It's through Hashem. And so we're imitating our father. Good night. And so he provided for their circumcision, commanding Yehoshua to make sharp objects, instruments. Um, two, he redeemed Israel, his firstborn son from Egypt. Three, he taught them Torah. We actually say this in our morning blessing. It says, bless you. Bruce you know, Hashem who teaches toward his people Israel. Oh, it's right there. Wow. Right there. Um, and four, he showed Moshe how to fashion the menorah. Like this talking about how he learned and fulfilled mitzvot. He showed him how to fulfill them. He showed Moshe how to fa- fashion the menorah, um, how to prepare the anointing oil, uh, uh, the anointing oil, and also, you know, how to how to pray. Wow. You know, five. He blessed Adam and his wife be fruitful and multiply. And so this is, blessing was effective for posterity, ensuring that uh, uh, ma- marriages are manageable and providing a livelihood. And so, you know, where do we get this idea of the five requirements for a father for a son? It's from what Hashem did to us when he took us out of Mitzrayim. You know, as we continue to talk about all the significant events, all the insights around Pesach, it's kind of feeling like I'm not sure that we're really exactly aware of what we're about to step into. You know, we may have done Pesach before, but I mean, come on, like, really? This is what this is what Pesach is all about. Yeah, (laughs) it's incredible. Hashem, help us Um, know. Oh, man. Oh, man. See, teach us, teach us Torah as you do. Yes, <laughs> yes, please. Light it up. So, um, it's, it, there's this interesting parallel um, between 
Yehoshua and Abraham. We actually mentioned it when we talked about actually uh, today being the anniversary of this moment. And, you know, Abraham, it was explained from Hashem to Abraham that the covenant of Mila represents the bond between myself and Israel. If you don't bear, if they don't bear the sign of the covenant, I will not give them Eretz Israel. Yikes. And so this is one of the reasons why Yehoshua had to circumcise them. Yep. And it mentions that he gathered all the foreskins and piled them up into this huge hill. You think about this as like, like 600,000 men. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a mountain. Uh, it's literally a huge mountain. Um, and so it's already the Midrash questions, what's the purpose of this? And it reveals that Yehoshua was just following the footsteps of his forefather, Abraham. Mm. And so, you know, like I said, today is actually the anniversary of Abraham performing his, uh, his Brit, um, um, his Brit Malah and his household's Brit Malah. And, you know, it mentions that he gathered all the foreskins and formed them into the mount. And as the stone showed upon them, you know, there, there's this decay and there's this unpleasant odor, of course, you know, you're talking about human flesh decaying, but you know, it's, it's, it contrasts, measure contrasts how we perceive things and how Hashem perceives them. Because while this whole family is like, this is the most like horrendous smell I smelled in my life. Hashem outright declares, says this odor is as pleasing to me as the one emanating from the sweet smelling Keturah incense and the Ola offerings. Oh my goodness. When Abraham's children will sin, I'm going to remember that odor and I'm going to have mercy upon them. Oh my goodness. Hashem judges by smell. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's it's because this is actually the same thing that happened um, with Yehoshua. Same thing. Oh, my gosh. I was the mirror of their Mila and act mercy towards them. And so, you know, why this symbolizes essentially their self-sacrifice, as we mentioned before, put them in mortal danger, and hence the odor actually aroused this merit and benefited them uh, not just them, but their descendants after them. Wow. And this is actually uh, what the verse of Shira Sherem is ba- based off of in 4 6, where it says, I will take myself to the Mount of Mir and to the Hill of Frankincense. And the Hill of Frankincense is actually a reference to this, this hill that they made through their circumcision. Wow. And it's funny because definitely from a human standpoint, like our perspective, that is not frankincense. <laughs> um, and I love how you said we have to understand from Hashem's perspective because that's the whole thing with getting out of Mitzrayim, getting out of exile. Unless we see from Hashem's perspective, things are not as they seem. You know, like what we think is cool, you know, it, it in the eyes of Hashem, is it cool with Him? Because that's the standard. Exactly. Not not what's cool to us, but what's cool to him. So, yeah. yeah. But an uh, excellent, excellent point. Um, and, it, you know, it mentions also that <clears throat> after this, they, the the Mohel actually covers the foreskin with the earth after Mila. Yes. Right? The, fact, the fact that we're likened to dust. And this is actually what um, Bilam pro- prophesied, or he, he um, admirably exclaimed, when he he actually saw foresaw this this event, and it says when he says who can count the number of mitzvot the Jews perform with a lowly substance like dirt, talking about the covering of of the the foreskin with earth with dirt. 
Wow. So now we're looking at SOTA and we're also looking at any of the, the animals that are slaughtered outside the temple precinct. You have to cover the blood with dust. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... It's all the extension of, of sacrificing yourself. That's what it all symbolizes. You know, even the, the Corbin, like the reason it brings you close, one of the many interpretations or one of the most popular interpretations is you see yourself and the animal, right? Yep. And you see what's done to the animal says, this is what should be done to you. That's it. You know, in circumcision, you're literally, you know, removing a part of yourself. And again, this is... Uh, one of the, the things it takes for the process is to allow miracles. To, allow, to be on the level of performing miracles, you have to give it all. You have to have self-sacrifice. That's one of these points. Um, and that's what, you know, the circumcision stands for. And it's also, it's like, you have this, this whole idea of, it's like um, for, forsaking idolatry. Because you, the whole opposite of, you think about, um, of of idolatry and, and this arrogance is just thinking about Hashem and what he wants. Not necessarily what, what pleases you and focusing on yourself, you know, but, but think about what he wants and how he interprets things. Kind of like how you mentioned with how he perceived the smell and how Abraham and Yehoshua perceived the smell. Yeah. But um, interesting thing is, you know, it kind of takes us back to... Um, the instant after the golden calf where Hashem's going to wipe out the people. And it's interesting because uh, Pharaoh was an astrologer and he saw through the signs that B'nai Israel, there'd be like blood in the desert. <laughs> and, and so, you know, when, when Hashem says, I'm going to wipe them out, uh, Moshe says, no, the, and his whole argument is, you know, this will be a chalul this will be a desecration of your name because Pharaoh will say, the nations say, you only brought them out to kill them. Because, and what we don't know from the, the text, but we do know from the oral tradition, the oral Torah, is Pharaoh actually prophesied that they would die in the desert. And so this is what the nations would attribute to. They wouldn't attribute to the sins of, of Israel. They would attribute it to um, Hashem being a spiteful God, Chas Shalom. And what's interesting about here is, is you have this redemption of this. And it's like the the astrological sign has come true there has been blood but Hashem changed the blood of death to the blood of life the blood of your Mila get you some and so you know <laughs> like you think about this like in, in your you know this whole concept of, of the blood there's life in the blood right well I was just thinking about Mashiach's body on the stake how the blood of death literally became the blood of life Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, the blood on the lintel for, for uh, Passover. That oh, one, yeah. the blood of death became the blood. Oh, my word. Yes. And, of course, you know, the picture of, like you said, Mashiach on the execution stake. Um, but to commemorate this whole, the, this national Britain law, Yehoshua named the place where it occurred Gilgal. Yep. Which is, means it's like the removal. And it's referring to the removal of the disgrace of of uh of Mitzrayim. Oh man, we need that uh, gone. Because, you know, it was it was mentioned that um there's the idea that um Yosef had them circumcised so they wouldn't mock them in the Exodus. 
Um, however, you know, I, I've, I believe that, you know, it's, it's more for the, the whole idea of Yehoshua was like, was like Moshe. He was trying to um, have converts. And I believe that because you think about the Exodus that was, you know, hundreds of years after Yosef's time. Right. You know, and, and so um, I think it, it more plays. Yosef was actually having circumcised to bring them into the covenant, kind of like Moshe, Moshe did with um, different members of, of Egypt when he brought the, the Jews out as well. Right. So, you know, this whole national law was called Gilgal, and this word, uh, the verb gal, actually derives from the root um, galal, which means to roll off, to remove. And it, it, this question, it seems like he should have named it um, gal, removal, rather than Gilgal, double removal. Why? What did he have in mind? And one was that um, the double removal was a hint of the foreskin of the disgrace of Egypt. Um, and a, a deeper explanation is... Uh, to this is he named the place Gilgal to remind Ben Israel that after their physical Brisbane law, they were still required to circumcise their hearts. Oh. And so this whole idea of circumcision of the heart, this is a very, very Jewish concept. It doesn't nullify actual circumcision, but it, it, it's to say, hey, like this is after this whole mound, like 600,000 men and and a, a, a day or at most, you know, a couple of days, right? Right. Um, and this is after that. And so it's always this, this precedent, like you, you have to undergo physical one, and then there's this, this spiritual one, that, that you, you still have to circumcise your heart no matter what. Um, but it's kind of like the whole idea of the concept that the circumcision, there's two parts of it. There's Mila and there's Priya. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, what's interesting about this is um, this root, the root of Gilgal, actually has the same root as Gilgatha. Oh. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. And you think about that, and you have the rolling away of the stone. Literally. There. Literally. What is, what is the, the stone compared to? Right here, it's talking about, about circumcision of the heart. Why? Because it's, I will remove the stony heart from your flesh. And what happens to the stone? It gets rolled away. Just like Gilgal rolled away, peeled, peeled away, rolled away, removal of. So the and, death of Mashiach is the first rolling away. The resurrection of Mashiach is the Priya. Yes, oh. I think I think that that would be a beautiful allusion um, to it. <laughs> of the the like he came like there's there's going to be a time when he's he's going to come and actually remove the the Yetzahara from us as well. Yeah, I that's think coming. there's allusion to that and the rolling away of the stone after uh, the resurrection. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I love my Yetzirah because it helps me work hard and uh, be diligent, but at the same time, man, it sweeps the leg, and I don't like that part. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful world would be. <laughs> you know, had that not been, um, well, when that, when that gets, when he removes it. Yep. It's coming. Um, we have so Bnei Israel offered a Pesach sacrifice only in the the year following the Exodus. Um, now this is thirty nine years later. They joyfully did so in their own land in the place of Jericho. Mm-hmm. And this question is, um, in the afternoon of the fourteenth day of Nisan, they slaughtered the Pesach sacrifices in the Mishkan. Um, 
At night, they ate the roasted lamb or goat together with matzo marors coming out by the Torah. But this question is where they obtain grain for baking their matzah. Where? And it kind of goes in the, the side swerve about, and this goes in the side swerve about the man, the mana. Um, after they enter the man, uh, after they enter the land, the mana uh, subsists. Like they, they, it, they no longer fail. That's right. Like ever, ever since, you know, the seventh of Adar and twenty four forty eight. It was the day of Moshe's death. Um, what they they did, even though it stopped falling at the time, they collected large amounts of manna, which actually remained fresh until they crossed the Jordan River a month mm. later. Mm-mm. And it's really interesting because it mentions, you know, we just got talking about how the, the death of Mashiach mentions that the flavor of that that manna, the one they saved, that lasted uh, over uh, over a month, tasted better, far superior. Uh, to the manna that fell during Moshe's time. Good night. And it mentions the reason for this, the spiritual quality, was that the Sadiq Moshe, in whose merit the manna fell, achieved an unprecedented level of wisdom on the day of his death. <laughs> and so, you know, you have this elevation that comes after death. You know. Yeah, there's and, that. <laughs> You know, Mashiach mentions the phrase, you know, your forefathers ate, ate you know, manna in the the, the desert. Yeah. You know, the bread I, bread I give you, you'll never, never go hungry. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because, I mean, what, you're, what you just set up is that, you know, the last day of Moshe's life, the guy wrote 13 Torah scrolls. Okay, mm-hmm. 13. And did a whole bunch of other stuff on top of that. Like, the epitome of multitasking. So, with Mashiach Yeshua, that's like the foundation that we elevate off of. Yes. So, partaking of Mashiach Yeshua is on, like, literally a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah, and, and you go back to also the, the what he said... <clears throat> about the bread he is going to give. Right. Bread from heaven. It also points to the fact that of the understanding of his role as Mashiach ben Yosef. You know? Yep. Because it's through it's through his death that the, the elevated level, you look at Moshe as a precursor to Mashiach, as a type and type shadow, the one who's, um, you know, as, as Moshe is, so the last Redeemer is. Mm-hmm. Moshe's death elevated the quality of this this manna, this bread, and so of course it'd be Mashiach's death that elevates this quality of this bread. <laughs> and we think about what the sages say, you know, in the Messianic era, when the Mashiach is going to unveil new Torah secrets to us, which is what like bread is always related to. That's Torah. right. That's right. And so we're never going to go hungry. We're never going to be, you know, fighting for scraps, so to say. <laughs> wow. But you can't make matzah out of manna. You know, it has to be made of flour and water. Yep. Um, it has to have the potential of becoming chametz, but not, not leavened, not rising. Mm. Um, but it has to have the potential, though. <laughs> but it, it goes beyond that. And so they, the sages actually conclude that the Jews purchased wheat that was grown the previous year from the Canaanite merchants. Um, and so they eat matzah as required by the Torah instead of, and they refrain from comments. 
And so on the 6th of Nisan, they fill the mitzvah of offering the Korban Omer. Um, the uh, the halacha of this is that the offering must be ripened from barley that's owned by Jews. And so, you know, they were kind of in a predicament because they weren't in the land. All the stuff was underdeveloped. And so um, they had to purchase underdeveloped young grain and gather it when it reached maturity. Hmm. And what's interesting here is um, it's mentioned, this idea that in Rosh Hashanah 13a explains that the miraculous, there's this miraculous ripening in that in six days. Six so between days. the 10th and 16th of Nisan, this, this ripening happened. The 5th and, and the 16th of Nisan. Yes. Oh, no, sorry, the 10th. 10th the and 16th of Nisan. Oh, my and word. The stages actually talked about this back in, in, in the Gemara, Rosh Hashanah 13a, talking about the Holy Land's description is as Eretz Savi, the land of the deer. Mm-hmm. And so why is Eretz Israel known by this name? Because it can grow produce with the swiftness of a deer. And what's even more eloquent is, is I love your, your plug about learning Hebrew because it unfolds so many levels. Um, but in Hebrew, this is Eretz Savi. And Savi is the same uh, deer, often translates as gazelle, like in Shir, shir, shir Shashim. Shir, shir, Sika. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And so, you know, about, you know, my beloved is like a gazelle. Mm-hmm. What is a gazelle that appears and disappears, appears and disappears again? So the first Redeemer appeared, disappeared and appeared again. Songs, uh, Shir, Shir, Rabbah. And so it mentions this whole idea of the Mashiach being alluded to with this this Svi, this this gazelle, and it's associated with appearing and disappearing. Right. So why why was Yeshua's ministry, if you will, if you want to call it like that, um, short lived, <laughs> and then to appear again because he's alluded to by this Svi, this the gazelle that appears and disappears. Um, a further reference is. And Aret Svi, you have two Sadis. You have the, the one in the end of Eretz, and you have the Sadi in, in the start of the word Svi. And uh, the Midrash Rabbah uh, Korak actually brings down the fact that if you have two final letters um, next to each other, like in, in two different words or, or what have you, it uh-huh. alludes to a certain Sadakim. And two Sadis actually allude to Mashiach. Oh, so, snap! You have um, you have Mashiach associated with the 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 blessing of the land, like <laughs> Israel in its elevated state. With you know you you look at what's to come about how Mashiach is going to bring us in, how Eretz Israel is going to be full of, of complete blessings, um, and so this is alluding to here in this and this Hafra and of course the Gemara explicitly. Well, I'm calling the police on you for that drop. <laughs> this <laughs> V, Arid's a V. Oh my goodness! You know, it's it's interesting um, because, like we've been talking about, you know, um, Yeshua, his his teaching it was full of miracles, right? This this incredible state, and then it was, you know, the Pesach time and his death um, and resurrection, and now we're in a period where. It's, it's like no more miracles. And this is actually 
what's going on in our half Torah, you have this, this unique era shift where these people just experience all these miracles, but they're about to enter in the land and go into this common, uh, this, this common uh, era, if you will. No mirrors. They're working hard for everything they have. It mentions that um, uh, Hashem still expected them to, to toil in their Torah studies, even though they now have to go through all this laborious process of plowing the earth, sowing seed, tilling the ground. Um, he still, Hashem still expected them to continue studying His Word and fulfilling the mitzvah, even with their new obligation. Ooh. Talk about growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, Avot and Pirkei Avot are, are, are sages, and blessed memory. Uh, they say, they, they, they highly favor one who also, like, works and studies Torah. Amen. It's considered that he studied the whole day. Oh, What? <laughs> Yes, this is a, from Pirkei Avot. Hold up, uh, read that, please. That that's insane. Uh, you have to, you might have to tag on to that. Find I, I don't know the uh, exact chapter on top of my head. Okay, but, it's it's all good, but that's Pirkei Avot that brings that down. That's Pirkei Avot. It's a visi. He's toiled all day. Um, so, you know, don't feel overwhelmed if you only have. Uh, if you only are capable of doing like 15 minutes a day, hour a day, you know, whatever, um, just make sure you're doing that consistency every single day, more so than a whole bunch on one day. Amen. Mm -hmm. um, because the shame still expects us of us. So there is always this um, awkward awkwardness around this time with, with certain groups um, as far as when is the uh the county of the omer if you will and this is this is not nothing there's nothing new about this this goes back to long-held beliefs from the, the pharisees and the um and the sedokim which is the sadducees so if you, ha you have anybody who's who's like written torah only then there are essentially parallels to the sadducees who made life very difficult for the people um yikes uh uh, I would argue now they had less excuses then, um, but, you know, because most people we see that are just, like, they, they're just uneducated, they just don't know. They're not necessarily bad people, I would say, you know, but um, this is this is why we're in the period of, of uh, Pesach perceives that. You've got to clear out your comments. you got to look inside yourself and, like, what do my beliefs say about myself? What do my beliefs say about how I view God, how I view other people, how I view myself, you know? Come on, I gotta get real. About my worldview, right? So we gotta take that into account. Um, but according, uh, interesting new perspective on this <clears throat> is that there's this debate because how it's phrased in the Torah that the written Torah states that the Omer offering upon which missibility of eating from new grain is dependent is to be brought on the day after Shabbos. But we mentioned last time that Yom Tov Pesach is also called Shabbat. Ooh. Right, which is why we have the name Shabbos Hagadol. Oh, right, right. To distinguish between the Sabbath before Pesach and the Sabbath that is Pesach. <laughs> Good uh, night. So, according to our oral tradition, this phrase means on the first day of Kol Hamod, i.e., on the sixteenth of Nisan. Right, <laughs> regardless of whether it occurs on a Sunday or not. And, of course, you had the, the Sadducees who were just like, no, we don't believe you. We don't put our faith in the sages. We don't put our faith in man, you know, not knowing that, you know, they need to. 
because that's a shame the will. Um, <laughs> but you have this idea that that uh, you from this actually Sefer from Sefer Yehoshua. It's obvious not you don't just make the argument of you know oral Torah versus written Torah. You can actually make the argument uh, that someone great within in the the the, the Torah the Tanakh actually believed this, actually followed it, practiced it. Someone who was close, to, who was the closest, arguably, yeah, was the closest to Moshe himself, who went up on Mount Sinai. Get you some. Of course, we read um, it's in the beginning of, of Pirkei Avot, um, in the in the Mishnah there, of this chain down to um, the men of the Great Assembly. You know, from Moshe to Yehoshua, Yehoshua to the elders. You know, but right here in this verse, it actually references this idea that Yehoshua believed and followed the oral tradition. Come on. See, um, because the verse really says very clearly, Jews began eating the new crop on the day following Pesach. On the day following Pesach. What was that again? On the day following what? Pesach. Okay. I.e. the 16th of Nisan. Man. So Pesach, the 15th of Nisan. Right? We have the Seder. The the and the Arab, mm-hmm. right, right, and then on the sixteenth we have counting counting the Omer, if you will. Sefirat Omer. You know what would be really cool is if the the Basora would have said, and on the sixteenth of Nisan by Boker, the women, the Miriams, went to the, the tomb of Mashiach. Like that would have been cool. That would have just squashed everything right there. Uh, yeah, that would have been amazing. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it's just a side proof of the validity of the Basura. Right. Um, that whole idea of, you know, no, if someone was trying to make up a story, they wouldn't make it up as women witnesses. Ooh. Because the, the testimony of women is not valid. Oh, according to the word. And to the very fact that it mentions these Miriam going to see this, like, it's like, why would you you make that up. That's, that's a well-known idea. Like even you, you look way back in the day, you know, the, the testimony of women, is not really accepted until like earlier recent years. Come on. And, and the fact that and, it's a you know, Miriam, you know, that, 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 that points out the validity of, of the Sora and what's written in there. Get and so saw. even if there's certain things that are, um, a little different, like, you know, and revelation, you know, moving on from the gospels, you have like the a name on a sigh, which it should be translated name on a banner. Yep. You know. Come on. There's little uh, like anomalies, but you could if you if you know enough of the oral Torah and even the written Torah, That's and right. those things are gonna make sense. You could kind of go back and see. Okay, well, that was meant to be this. Yep. So it's nothing. It's nothing to flip out about. Be like, oh, it can't be trusted. <laughs> um, can we talk about Pesach a little bit? Man, please, because we need to speak it. <laughs> All right. So, just, just the whole name of Pesach. You have uh, Pesamit He, Pesach. And you literally, you could break that down into in uh, in two different words if you want. You have the word Pesamit, which is pas, and you have a het. Mm-hmm. And... Pa, you have het, which is like, you know, we just talked about circumcision, 
the number of renewals, the number of going beyond physical limitations, like we talked about in the beginning of this portion, it's like sanctify yourself, and right. then it goes into miracles. Right. You know, remove your homets, nullify yourself, like we talked about these these swords, like the the merit of them winning the waging the war and winning the war was because of not their their swords, not their arms, but because of the um, circumcision knives. Come on. And this whole idea is is brought down here, like going beyond. And you look at the other word, the beginning part of this, pas. This is a garment. And more explicitly, this is the what's referred to as the uh, the cloak of Yosef. The pas. Which is carpus. <laughs> Elaborate, yes, go. Go for it. So the carpus is about the, uh, the atoning for dipping Yosef's coat in the goat's blood. So the pas is connected to ketanet pasim, which is the coat of many colors, um, many translations say. And that is what we're looking at here in Pesach. And it's no wonder why the garments of Mashiach Yeshua, Ben Yosef, were gambled for and covered in blood because they beat him and, you know, they accompanied him to the site of his demise. Only for a short time, though. Wow. So it, this coat, like what you're saying, this this, this coat that fits and blood or come for us that allows us to go beyond. Right. Allows us to go beyond, and like we pray in the the Aleinu Shmoni Ezra, like this whole blessing of attaching ourselves to Sadikim. Right. Yes. You know, what does Yeshua say on the vine? You're the branches. Mm-hmm. You know, and through attaching that, we're, we're, we're marrying this blessing. We're marrying the ability to go beyond. And, um, you know, you also have this idea that the, the garment is, this is like a, a, a mitzvah, what mitzvahs are related to. They're related to clothing, right? The garments for the soul. Yep. The, the soul is actually clothed in these garments. Man. Um, you, you break down the whole letters. It's kind of interesting because you have, you have the pay, which is literally the mouth. You have the samic, which is like, if you spell it, it means to support. Yep, and you have the 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 chet, which is like this this renewal period, and mm-hmm. you know what do we what do we do on the seder? Speak, use our mouth. Yes, we're actually speaking speaking this whole the specific order. That's what I call seder, specific order. A specific, um, yep. That's literally supporting chet. Is, chet is also the the letter of chai of life. We're actually speaking life. Um, now Rose this comments that we actually nullify these these thoughts and the ideology and the, this uh, spiritual klipa of atheism. Come as on. Well. Um, and so we're actually speaking life into our existence, life of existence all around us. Um, also, you have, you know, Yeshua was executed. Yeah. Right. He laid down his life, really more accurately to say. Yeah. At this time, and you look at the. The um, the chet it's actually made up of according to like the, the the scribal writing of it two letters which is a vav and a and a zayin yes and so literally you have the mouth speaking of the, the support speaking for support or of the support of right the vav transforming to a zayin oh the vav is the man the zayin is essentially this crowned man Mm-mm-mm. and so it. You know, you you have this time where Yeshua he filled his role with Moshe and Yosef, 
and he's he's elevated. He was he was born right again as uh, David. If you want to look at it through kind of a uh, more mystical level, support tag. Yes, go for it. When Yosef was sold into slavery, i.e. through his coat being dipped into blood, the Kehert Humash brings down that this was the beginning of his reign as king. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. And then you had the Chet, the man, become the crown man. Come on. Right? The Bob of Zion. And it happened through a quote-unquote death. (laughs) Yes. You know, and... It's, it's just interesting because Chet can, um, is also you know, the word for sin, if you will. Like missing the mark. Right. Another and tag when you're done. So it's just the illusion of like, even even though, you know, we have the phrase, you know, from Rabbi Shul, that he, you know, he uh, he became sin. He knew, no, he knew not sin, became sin. Also from Yeshua uh, 53, he bore our sins. Yeah. Right. So it's the illusion of even though we see him as a sinner, like the brother saw Yosef, He's actually the one who brings high life through his submission and, and through his later elevation into the king. Come on. And so this is what we're doing on Pesach. That's this it. Is what, this is the life we're bringing. This is the divine light we're bringing to the world and bringing to those around us. Wow. Well, I was just going to say that, again, with the pas connected to Carpus. And the coat of Yosef being dipped in the blood, beginning of the reign as king, and the whole Akida aspect. This is the first element we partake of. So this is the beginning of us becoming kings and queens. As we sit down, speaking life into the world, shining light into the universe. And of course, Rebbe Griffin with the Safas Ames. Uh, drop that says that by entering into the Pesach Seder, we bring about a new world order. We bring Takun to the universe. The original way Hashem intended that all of Yisrael would lead the whole entire world into the service and worship of the one true God. Amen. Amen. You know, it, it, there's so many tags I want to do on that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, man. Keep um, going. Remind me about shoes and the cell of Yosef. Um, but, I mean, could you just repeat the last thing you said? Bringing Takun to the universe. Takun in order. Like, we're bringing a whole new world order. So, this is the Safasa mess on the Pesach Haggadah. And this is brought down by Rebbe Griffin via the Preparing Your Heart for Pesach, day one. He brings that down. And so... Just a beautiful drop about what we actually do at the Seder. We are bringing the original intent of Hashem to lead to for all Yisrael to lead the whole world into yeah. service and worship of the one true God. Like that's what we're doing. You know, you, you also also mentioned something about uh, the idea of kings, right? Oh yes, through the carpus, just like Yosef beginning to be king uh, when he was sold. Because the carpus yeah. reminds us of the blood, the garments dipped in blood. So we're going to that point. And now through the tacoon, because we're dipping the carpus in tears, basically. Like yeah. tears, teshuva, overturning the decree. So we now are entering into becoming kings and queens. Yes, yeah, it's, it's amazing. That's, that's also one of the reasons like, like why we lean. We lean when, in Pesach because nobility would lean. Right. This is this is one of the reasons why you know it's 
you know, you have the, the, the four questions, like the, the, the children asking questions because it's, it's so unusual because during this Seder, it's like we go back and forth between this whole idea of kings and, and slaves Ooh. Because, because of what we do, mm. you know, eating masa like a, like a, like a, someone who is, is un, not wealthy, right? And who's not a noble, who's very who can't afford the, the bigger, bigger grains or whatever, you know, the, the more elevated food. But then you're also leaning or reclining like the nobles would. <laughs> you, you know, you don't, you don't just... leave any of the meat over, like, right? Because, because nobles don't eat scraps and leftovers. And so it's this back and forth between being nobility and, and servants. Seriously? And so this is what, this is what begs the question. This is what begs the children to ask. And so this is why, you know, what arouses our curiosity so much with Yeshua. Right. If he's this king, you know, why, why is he afflicted? <laughs> if, 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 why, why, why is, why is this not happening yet? Why is wars aren't done away with if he, if he truly came as a Mashiach? Why is the Yetzirah not done away with? Right? Because he was showing us how to live like servants. This is back and forth. He showed aspects of his kingship, especially when he went in flipping tables you know, for the Lord, you know, right. and then, but he, he showed a lot of aspects of his, his role as the suffering servant, Mashiach and Yosef, if you will. Which is the precedent for the two Mashiachs teaching that's brought down by Chazal. Amen. So we're, but, we're literally in the Seder. We're literally existing in the reality of the two Mashiachs simultaneously. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my! It's you know. Wow. It's, it's it's incredible. Um, and you also mentioned this whole idea of, uh, oh wow, just like making a tune for the world, having it brought in. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you know we're, we're reading from Yehoshua, and this is the reading for the Pesach because Yehoshua was the one who comprised the Alenu, and yeah. he hid his name in there to associate himself with prayer forever. And if you look at the second paragraph, it's all about the, the whole nations coming in and and sincerely making Takuna and acknowledging the Shem for who he is. And there is actually an opinion because the first three letters of the second paragraph spell out uh, like Akan, mm-hmm. which is, um, if you remember from in the beginning of Yehosha, like in that, that area, it mentions this guy who's the one who who stole some of the spoils that belonged to Hashem yeah. and put to death. And is one of the interpretations is like he composed the second paragraph um, before, like right after he made the Shuva, before he was put to death. Mm-hmm. But the majority opinion is that Yehoshua himself comprised the whole thing, but I think it's a yes moment. Yep. You have this whole idea about Yeshua, right, bringing the, the sinners to repentance. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to call the righteous, but the, the sick. Or the one to his, I believe, his left on the stake, who mm, made yeah. the shuva, and Yeshua said, "Today you will be with me in Gan Eden." Incredible. You know, you mentioned you kind of love this to the cell of Yosef, and one of the things that the brothers did is mentioned in the midrash, and we talked about it before in one of the, the hafras, is that they sold him for a pair of shoes. Man. Or they show them the price of what they could have bought shoes from, you know, different different interpretations. Right. Which I, I believe is maybe an illusion here 
Um, doesn't necessarily mention it with any midrash that, that I've read so far, but allusion here why Yeshua and Moshe had to take off their shoes. Oh, oh! It's the act of the kum for selling the selling of Yosef. Well, you know why that's so monumental? Because mm-hmm. no one wore shoes in the Beit Hamikdash. Yes. Um. There, that's incredible. It's like it's things up over here, you know, because we we get into the the last last part of this this half towards where Yehoshua meets the angel, you know, oh. and he, he has to take off his his shoes. Oh my gosh! And it's reminiscent actually of the burning bush, which actually you know it's instant that also uh, concurred on the fifteenth of Nisan on the Exodus. Of course, of course. <laughs> And so, you know, where the Shekinah appears, it's forbidden to wear shoes. And also mentions, like you mentioned, the Konim had to serve barefoot in the Beit HaMikdash. Oh, my gosh. And what's the significance of removing one's shoes? There's one that the shoes protects a person. And so it's no need to wear shoes because the Shekinah, by supernatural means, the ground level becomes holy, elevated. So it actually protects you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the angel was hitting to Yehoshua that he did not need the natural means to withstand the Kanim, right? Because he, right. he has Tim's presence. Also, um, if you think about one who walks barefoot, and, like he feels discomfort even with small pebbles. Yep. And so it's a concept that we mentioned before, uh, especially when we're talking about Parsha uh, Zafor, which is uh, Saul and Amalek, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, whenever the Shekinah appears, when the presence of God is there, there's higher standards that become the norm, and Sadakim are judged more strictly. Wow. And three, another reason is it symbolizes distancing oneself from the physical world. All right, in the presence of Shekinah, Sadiq is expected to distance himself from his physical needs as much as possible. Wow. And so you look at Moshe, he had to remove both his shoes, and Yehoshua, it's like he had to remove one shoe. And, you know, you know Moshe actually even, you know, separated from his wife. You know, he was on such a, like, exalted level. Um uh, the other thing is the whole idea of mourners. And so he, the angel was hinting to Yahushua that B'nai Israel was in the category of mourners. Why? Why? Because they, you know, were no longer were sustained by the mats. So they had a toil for the food and they'll lose precious time from studying Torah, you know, and, and mourners don't wear shoes. Wow. And so these are, these are some of the maybe significance uh, other than what we mentioned of making tacoon for the selling of Mashiach uh, and Yosef. Um, but this angel himself, according to the Midrash, is uh, Mikhail. Um, and according to Mamlaws and other sources, it's actually Memtet. This is the the same angel who uh, forefather Yaakov prophesied. Like he, he, he foresaw Yehoshua's greatness and fame, you know, that came after this instance, after the conquering. Yep. Um, when it says his Ephraim's descendants' fame will be will fill the world, Rashid forty eight nineteen, and also he knew about the future Esther where he met this angel. Um, when he says, when blessing Ephraim and Rashi, I made an angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the use, forty eight sixteen. Wow. And simultaneously, handing to Ephraim's descendant Yehoshua, who would encounter an angel, and Menashe's descendant Gideon, who would also be assisted by an angel later in, in Shoftim. And so this is, you know, also interpreted to be Hashem's angel. Also, Mikhail is associated with Mimtet. Yep. Uh, and so, 
it's interesting this dialogue that he has with the the angel and uh, Yeshua asked him like whose side are you on and the angel you know he has this like just incredibly cool phrase that he replies like <laughs> you would expect this from like the like an action movie from your the hero to say something witty right or something just really really cool and he says you know he says you know i'm not um hold on i'm not some place here but verse 14 yes you want to read it for us if you don't mind vayomer lo kiani sar zevadonai that sounds really cool in English. I mean, in Hebrew. That's, wow. Okay, no, seriously, it, the translation of that is he replied, no, I am the Tsar, the prince, the captain, the ruler, the king, so, so to speak, of Hashem's armies. Now I have come. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm not for for you or your enemies. You know, Man. I'm I'm for Shem. <laughs> you know, like wow, like I'm wherever he has me. Um, oh. But it's it's just incredible. It is, I think it's just an incredible, like cool liner. You know, you know, may we be like that? Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, they they pray to have Shem on their side, be like the Shem be with me, Shem be with me, but you know. What about being on the Shem side? Oh, come on, come on. Yeah, maybe maybe our perspective is wrong. Like the the smell of the of of Gilgal, if you will. Yeah. Do we do we smell it like like rotting flesh, or do we smell it like frankincense? Ooh. You know, are we were you going to be like, hey, Shem, we need you, we need you, we need you. What you can do for us is what I mean by that. Or are we going to be like, hey, like we we want to be close to you? Wow. And how we be close to you is by the mitzvah. Right, sav, right, like um, connection, you know, <laughs> which is the whole point of us us being here is to strive to be close to Hashem. That's through the mitzvah, you yep. know. Amen. And you know, we're putting this this process by having to get to hard, by having physical desires. You know, we're we're made perfect by perfecting ourselves. This okay. is the the way we can achieve true perfection, true close to Hashem, is by by owning it, owning our own. Um, pursuit of him, not just it being given to us. Yes. Blow right. up the Hamas. Blow it up. Yeah. The angel replied, I am Michael in charge of the heavenly army above. I have been sent to lead the conquest of Eretz Kenan and the merit of the Jewish people. Hashem's army below. All your plans and strategies are superfluous. Superfluous. I can't say it. Superfluous. <laughs> Thank you. Superfluous. Fluid. Yes, fluid. Um, for the mighty Canaanite kings cannot be subdued with ordinary human strength, but only to divine intervention. Oh. And, you know, what's the guy that make this a story time? So we have a story time. Story time. Come on. I appeared once before offering to help your master Moshe, but he refused. He wanted his shem to lead the Jews directly. Now I have come again. Don't reject me. I will not return another time. You will lose out, and so will I. For I cannot return to my station on high before fulfilling my mission of defeating the seven nations of Eretz Canaan. Know that God has also sent me to inform you that he is angry at you, and that this is the reason my sword is drawn against you. You have committed two sins. Yesterday you were so preoccupied with plans talking Yeriko that you forgot to bring the daily afternoon Ola offering. Oh. Furthermore, 
At night, you were busy with preparations for the battle, and therefore you neglected your Torah studies. Mm-hmm. And with sin, have you come to rebuke me? Asked Yehoshua. You cannot make up Miss Corbin, explained the angel. Oh. Be careful with Torah study. Yehoshua understood from the angel's words that he was not permitted to miss Torah study on account of warfare. From then on, he immersed himself deeply in Torah study, even immediately before battle, aware that this merit was instrumental in bringing about victory. Yehoshua fell on his face because he was unable to withstand the sight of an angel, unlike his teacher Moshe, who had encountered an angel without fear. He prostrated himself in gratitude before Shem, who was sending his angel to conduct the war. Yehoshua understood that he and his generation were not on the level of Moshe and could not demand to be guided directly by Shem. Hence, he happily accepted the angel's authority. He humbly inquired, What does my master command of his servant? The angel ordered, remove your shoe, for the place where you stand is holy. Yehoshua complied. The end. Well, other than not being able to breathe, uh, that was insane. (laughs) Like, the level of Moshe, like, was beyond this level that we're reading about here, and it's just kind of like, say what? Mm-hmm. It's incredible. You know, I would, I would love for, you know, Hashem's angel to lead me, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, directly, you know, and, and so just the, just the amount of level that was, right, and, and Moshe's level was more exalted, and generation's level was right. uh, more exalted. Um, but after this, of course, you have the fall of, of um, Jericho, which is one of the strongly fortified cities, I mentioned there are seven gates of copper. Um, where they have these copper locks, there are seven gates around the city. Mm. It was impossible to leave. Um, they didn't allow people to leave, nor they allow insiders to enter. Um, and so, you know, they go in confident. This is kind of skipping the point where you know Pinchas and Caleb go in there as spies. Um, right. But. Mentions, you know, they had one circle, like the, for seven days, they make one circle. The seven cones would blow the shofar, you know, and then you have um, the seven, the seventh day, they circled seven times. Do you have that insight that talks about this is when they said the Elenu? Oh, you, you can drop it down. Go drop it down. Oh, I mean, I don't know what was the source on it, but there was apparently a source that brought down the the song that they were singing and shouting while they were circling Jericho was the Elenu. Yeah, that seems legit. <laughs> 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 it is, no. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't have that on top of my, top of my mind, but oh. I, it could have been something we discussed. But, um, okay, we'll keep going. I, I just thought... I, that, it does sound familiar, though. I, 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 it's, I know you're talking about something earlier, but... Um, you kind of look at this and you have all these cycles of seven, you know, one circle for, for, se- for seven days, right? Oh, and you start man. Going the seventh day, seven circles, you know, <laughs> you have, you have seven, seven times, times six, mm-hmm. right? Do 42 it. Seven. Yeah. Which is 49. Mm-hmm. And so right after, uh, Pesach, you have, you know, Shavuot, you have the county of the Omer. Come on. Come and so you on. Have the following of Yerko, which is this whole, this amazing uh, Kedusha Shem, 
where you have this fortified um, enemy stronghold that was just broken down. And I allowed them, you know, after this, it's mentioned that this conclusion of, of Yehoshua's fame was spread throughout the land. Wow. That is legit. <laughs> and so it's just incredible. You think about the, the whole point of the Exodus, as Rabbi Griffin mentioned several times, was the receiving of the Torah. Yep. So they'd be ready to receive the Torah. That's it. And so you can kind of think about this is, is the whole point of, of Pesach is to make us ready for Shabbat for receiving the Torah. Amen. And we, we have to, you know, like we talk about, like sanctify ourselves because there's, there's miracles coming. Amen. You know, there's, there's the point of refining your character, which you mentioned nullifying yourself, self-sacrifice, going the extra mile. If you want to, if you want to see miracles have your life, you know, how people, you look at all these Sadiqim who get the level of working miracles. This is how it's done. They, they sanctify themselves. They work in their character, refine themselves. They change their nature. They go the extra mile. They, they make the sacrifices, whatever that, whatever that, that is and, and increments. You know, if it's getting up a little earlier to study or daven, if it's staying up a little later to, to study or, or daven, you know, just those for examples. Um, and then also it's, the way you're actually able to do this, <clears throat> because it's actually impossible to change our nature. Yeah. And only way to make that possible is you have to plug into something that's beyond nature. Plug into something that's beyond nature. Plug into something that created all of existence, and that is the Torah, in which everything was created. Wow. And so you plug yourself into this the source that created everything, you can recreate yourself. <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like um, the argument of Bethel and Moshe. You know, they said, what well, can be what's made first? And Moshe says, okay, he, he lists the, the Aharon as first. And Bessel mentions the tabernacle, the Mishkan as first. And the dialogue there, Moshe, it wasn't really an argument. Moshe was saying, hey, the most important part's the Torah. That's the reason for this whole thing. And Bessel says, well, the Mishkan has to be made first because in order to acquire Torah, you have to have fear of Hashem. Wow. You have to, you have to stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about what you, what you want, your desires, and start thinking about his desires, how he sees things, how he smells things, how he perceives things. And this is really what we do on Pesach. We're, we, we're cleaning the chametz, yes, from our houses, but also from our us. Yeah. So we build fear of Hashem, love of Hashem, and really, we stop making it about us. Oh, man. You know, a lot of people think that um, arrogance is just people who have this high opinion of themselves, and that's not what arrogance is. You know, Moshe understood his worth. All these Sadakim, Yeshua, mm. you know, the Messiah understood his worth. Mm. All the Sadakim understood the worth. And that's healthy. That's not pride. That's not arrogance. Mm. You know, arrogance is thinking of yourself too much. Oh. You know, your focus is on yourself. You know, the opposite of that is, is you know, thinking of Hashem. Oh, this 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 smells bad to me. You know, this smells bad to me. Okay, well, Shem says this smells excellent to me. You know, to go with our Gilgal reference, right? You know, it says, okay, well, how does how does the Shem perceive this? Not necessarily how do I. You know, but um, I guess the you know close this password. There's this little fun fact that I'll go and throw in here that there's four Jews who achieved worldwide fame by minting coins. Uh, circulated in all the lands of the contemporary civilization. 
And so it mentions that Abraham achieved this fame and he had coins. There's coins that he minted or that was minted by the nations as currency. And it had the picture of him and Sarah as, as a, as old. And then as a youth on the reverse side, <laughs> um, and all this is based on, of course, the, uh, the Parshas and, uh, in the Torah, what, what's mentioned about the miracles of life. Yehoshua had a, um, had an ox on one side and a Raim, a wild ox on the other. Mm. Um, you know, Devrim, the prime ox that would descend from him, Yosef, Devrim 33:17, which is allusion to Yehoshua, descending from Yeshua, descending from Yosef. Mm-hmm. Uh, third one was King David, and he had, it was portrayed on his corner, a shepherd satchel and a fortress on the reverse side, signaling his rise to greatness. Um, Mordecai, as it says, his fame spread throughout the other countries, Esther 9.4, and he had sackcloth and ashes on one side and a crown on the other. Come on. You know, just to tag on, to continue what we mentioned about this whole idea of, of arrogance and and uh, simcha and humility and thinking of Hashem, not ourselves, not what we want, is they weren't thinking about then. They weren't trying to publicize themselves. Their intention in minting these and circling these coins was to publicize Hashem's remarkable providence. That's right. And thus, thus, the reason for publicizing that was drawing people closer to his service. Wow. You know, it's not just about doing the mitzvah because you want the reward. <laughs> it's, about doing, it's, about, it's about doing the mitzvah so you're like other people, that they can be drawn closer to Hashem, because what Hashem wants, he wants more people drawn to him. Amen. And so... Um, just this, this whole idea of, of focusing on what, what he wants, you know? And so even if someone is in a state of depression or they're a state of, of anger or a state of haughtiness or, or, or what, whatever it is, like, you know, everywhere they have a low opinion of themselves or a high opinion of themselves, it's all arrogance because they're focusing on themselves too much. Wow. And so let us be people who focus on a shim. I mean, that, you know, that's going to be the caption for this podcast, <laughs> focusing on Hashem. Amen. Well, well, we get time for practical takeaways. Yes, sir. It is about that. Well, it's way past that time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I good know. job on, uh, on having to index yourself and me not have to say anything because I didn't want to. Something in my throat. <clears> throat> all right um so would you like to go first okay um uh this whole idea since we're on Pesach and you know this night will mark the the night where we nullify the Hametz and and do the traditional search um the night before the Seder night yes um this whole concept of nullifying ourselves just like Yehoshua the merit that they had was the merit of the circumcision knives which rendered them completely useless yeah right yeah it rendered them useless like we talk about like you know comparing that to matzah like the the whole matzah is like it's the opposite of of like this bread and the bread makes the heart grow strong right, right. it's this flattened bread it's, it's the, the the um poor man's bread right right and this whole nullification and focusing on Hashem and allowing Hashem to work in your life and allowing Hashem's uh, messenger, his angel, or himself to to lead you 
into where you're supposed to go and to allow him to be your protection. And just to kind of tag on um, this this idea with a um, uh, a practical story, a story that actually happened in my life of, of this, relating this incident is, I remember my wife and I, we were um, traveling and it was, it was late. It was like really, really late or early in the morning, depending on how you want to look at it. And but to say to say it's not good, so don't travel at night. Not recommending that, especially after the story. Um, but there was this big semi truck that just started like getting our tail, cutting us off, doing all sorts of things, trying to run us off the road into like the the, the water or run us into the mountain, just like like demonic. Like this guy might have been a descendant of Amalek. Wow. You know, and like literally, Chinese brides giving us obscene gestures, um, just threatening us. And essentially he was, he was trying to either kill us, take a life or kidnap us or whatever. Um, and there's nothing we could do. There's really nothing we could do at the time. It was completely night. No one was really around. Um, and what we did is, you know, we, I said, you know, uh, Naomi, let's, let's say, say this Shema. And of course, I couldn't cover my eyes because I was driving. <laughs> right. Um, but she covered her eyes, and, and we said the Shema together. Um, and it was incredible because at that moment, his brights turned off, and he was right behind us, literally almost to our bumper, and he just he just slowed down and just faded into the, the, the darkness. Wow. You know, and it's it's interesting because you see how. Like all these commentaries are so true. It's just amazing that it's first on a practical level um, because the Shema is compared to like the cities of refuge, yep. according to Nachman and, and others. And it's so true, you know. And, you know, I've had, I've had different dreams where different things are happening, all this chaos thing, chaotic things are happening, the collapse of building, um, horrible things happening. And I say the Shema, and all, all of a sudden, like where we should have died, me and who I was with, like we're. Because the merit of us saying the Shema, we're, we're literally saved. Wow. And so it's this whole idea of, you know, we think that the right way to go is by, you know, like having, I'm not just, I'm not saying we shouldn't have arms or anything, but we think that our protection is in our guns, it's in our swords, it's in our Kung Fu moves, you know, <laughs> but our protection is in a shem. Our protection is nullifying ourselves, nullifying our ego. Like we do every Pesach. Yeah. So we can receive the true sword, the Torah, on mm. on Shavuot, and literally we can be like vessels for Shem's power to manifest in this this earth. Well, well said. That is absolutely incredible, and my my uh, practical takeaway will definitely be just in a small uh, attachment to that. Because I love the word batul and nullifying, you know, batul to nullify yourself. Because that same word also makes the same uh, spelling for, or when you re- rearrange the letters, permutate the letters, makes the word tavel, which is the word immerse. And wow. it was interesting to me that Mashiach Yeshua told us that we needed to go tavel the world right before he ascended. He didn't say, obviously it's the, the way the talk that he gave obviously means go make converts. 
but he left it so open for like the Jewish mind because when we see something, there are at least 70 different ways to interpret that. Mm-hmm. So another interpretation I would just like to submit to the court is go tovel the world, just point blank, tovel the world, like the world that's in you, yourself in the world, tovel it, nullify yourself to the world, nullify the world to yourself, nullify, like bring people out of the world into a state of nullification, which is ultimately what we all do when we come to the Seder table. Everybody that's at that table is now having the opportunity to enter into nullification. So literally, when Mashiach says, go top of the world, go bring the world into redemption. And, you know, we cannot be redeemed if we're not at a place to embrace Hashem's perspective, to embrace Hashem's thought, His mind, to embrace the miracles that only Hashem could do. Because the the picture is, when we left Mitzrayim, literally the story of the Exodus that we are reading, that's literally our story. The children of Israel left Egypt on a 54-year journey with the same pair of clothes, and they only left with the matzah in their hand, and then with whatever they could get from the Egyptians on the way out. I don't know about you, but that's not how you plan a 54-year trip, okay? So obviously there's something bigger at work here, and the only way to survive that is to be in a state of betul, which is the only way to get into that state is to be toveled. So may we all be toveled in Hashem, like in every sense of the meaning of that word, because man, I'm telling you, what Hashem smells is a pleasing aroma. We got to figure out how to get there spiritually. And it, it only, the only way we can is to be born again, to be born anew. So may it be so. All right. Well, it's, it's that time. So let's, let's go into Pesach with the closing bracha. Barukatadonai <laughs> Ki el melek ne eman verakamanata, Baruk ata adonai, ha el ha ne eman bekol devarav. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to send everyone a Shavuot Tov and a Hag Sameach Pesach. So enjoy. Let's all leave Egypt together and say Baruch Abba Bishem Adonai. Amen. Well, Achi, and uh, have a wonderful preparation for Pesach and Shavuot Tov and Shalom. Shavuot Tov, you too.